0: Almost 250 years after they were stolen, four spears will soon be returned to country from England. It's a repatriation that's been decades in the making. But how did they get to be in England? In 1770, James Cook, then a lieutenant, took the spears while the HMS Endeavour was in Camay, Botany Bay. They'd arrived from New Zealand and were almost immediately met with suspicion and hostility from the local people of the area, the Gweagel people. Botanist Joseph Banks wrote in his journal,
1: Two in particular who were painted with white, their faces seemingly only dusted over with it, their bodies painted with broad strokes drawn over their breasts and backs, resembling much a soldier's crossbelts, and their legs and thighs also with such-like broad strokes drawn round them, which imitated broad garters or bracelets.
0: These two warriors, armed with what Banks called lances, with blades that were likely smeared with the same white ochre that painted their bodies, shouted and shook their weapons at the crew.
1: In all appearance resolved to dispute our landing to the utmost, though they were but two and we thirty or forty at least.
0: Banks went on to write about the two men being shot at and the eldest seemingly taking a bullet
2: to the leg. And from that moment on, no, uh, I guess, First Nations people on the shore that day or, or for the eight days really wanted anything to do with, with Cook and the crew and the endeavour. Hi, so I'm Nolane Timbury. I uh, proudly belong to the La Paruse Aboriginal community and I am the chairperson of the La Paruse Local Aboriginal Land Council.
0: Can you tell me how Cook and the Endeavour crew came to be in possession
2: of the spears? When they were, I guess, exploring the area, they tried to talk to the people there and they collected things. So that's, I guess that's what explorers do. They collect things. They came across a bundle of spears, or about 40 or so, and they thought that they should take them. So they took them. Reports say that they thought that they might have been poisoned, so they were taking them because they thought they were weapons, uh, I guess to, you know, for safety reasons or whatever. But uh, so they collected these 40 spears, which turned out to be fishing, hunting spears, and that they ended up back on the endeavour and, and back into England. Nolane's right.
0: Banks wrote about going up to the houses of the local people and throwing beads, ribbons and cloths in as, quote, presence.
1: We, however, thought it no improper measure to take away with us all the lances which we could find about the houses, amounting in number to forty or fifty. They were of various lengths, from fifteen to six feet in length, both those which were thrown at us, and all we found except one, had four prongs headed with very sharp fish bones, which were besmeared with a greenish-coloured gum that at first gave me some suspicions of poison. He also wrote, Upon examining the lances we had taken from them, we found that the very most of them had been used in striking fish. At least we concluded so from seaweed, which was found stuck in among the four prongs.
0: It takes a few people to carry that many spears. And when you really stop to think about the impact of taking 40 to 50, it's nothing short of horrifying. Because not only did the Gweegle people have to remake the spears, they also literally lost access to a food
2: source until the spears could be replaced. These spears have historic significance and they have cultural significance. And I think there's a balance to that. I don't think we can put one above the other. I want to be fair and I want to say we know that these spears are part of uh, a really historic voyage and they became part of that story but they are part of a bigger story that tells the beginning of the shared history of this country.
0: What goes into history books is not always what we grow up learning. So did did you know a different version of this story at all?
2: Look, probably not when I was growing up. Probably just wasn't anything that we talked about. But, you know, there there are stories in my community that really talk about the coming of, of that ship. And they talk about that and they talk about the newcomers and they talk about how, uh, I guess, the opposition to that was that they just wanted them to go away. You know, this was completely out of the ordinary, something new, and they just didn't want a bar of it. So I kind of grew up. I guess, understanding the Cook version of that story because that's what was taught in schools and not really understanding that there was another part of that story. So I completely understand where people are coming from when they're going, you know, what do you mean? This isn't part of the history. It's absolutely part of the history.
0: It's interesting to think about the fact that they were made pre-colonisation. They they are really standing in as sort of a
2: a metaphor for yeah absolutely they were made before uh european arrival before the first that first european landing i guess so they they predate that and the 40 or so were taken only 10 percent four exists we don't know where the other 36 are we don't know if they still if they're I guess, stored somewhere, if they're in different collections or if they just don't exist anymore. I think I said in one of my, my interviews, if there's any researchers or museums out there that want to go through all their gear uh, and they find a couple, just, yeah, let us know. We're happy to take that call as well. Because there, there must be people
0: who have things in their, well, people and museums that have things in their collection that they're not entirely sure about the origin of. Yep. That
2: happens, yeah, that happens and, uh, and you know, sometimes things, my understanding is sometimes there's things in collections that you're not really sure where they came from either and that's the beauty of these beers because they have the provenance, they have the recorded history, we know exactly where they came from.
0: One of the forever conversations that goes on when it comes to, when it comes to artefacts, cultural artefacts in a museum is... They've been able to be preserved for two hundred and fifty years because they were in a museum environment. They were never built to last two hundred and fifty years, and that was never the intention. Yeah, um,
2: I, when the when the spears were out here uh, last year, I think somebody asked me the question of, um, I guess, being being happy that they were taken because they've been preserved. And happy is just a, a really bad word for that. Um, we acknowledge that had they not been taken, they wouldn't be here for us to look at, to you know, argue over, to um, to experience. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we, we also acknowledge the care that Trinity College and the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology over in Cambridge, you know, they've looked after these spears for, for, like you say, 250 years. And they're fairly they're very well preserved. Sure they were they were cut down so they could fit on the ship a little bit better, but um, you know, that there's they're still really great objects from our past. And to be happy that they were taken just because so that they can exist is yeah, it's it's a it doesn't sit well with me. Um I know that I know that they wouldn't be here if they weren't taken, but spear making still happens. it still happens the exact same way uh, it's a it's an, an ongoing cultural practice that has never broken. Um, it's just that materials are used a little bit differently now. you know, with the introduction of metal came some you know some metal was brought into it so we 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 know that story. We know that um, spear making hasn't changed, but materials have. And so, when the spears came out uh, last year, so in the National Museum of Australia, the NMA's exhibition, as well as the one in Chowchak Chow Wing, we oh, they uh, supplemented the original spears with another thirty six or so, just to, I guess, exhibit show what forty spears actually look like together. Uh, and and those uh, those those spears were made new for the exhibition, um, but that's also something that we've talked to um, the M A A over in Cambridge about. Is how do how do we how do we I guess um, show the ongoing nature of that cultural practice, and and that's how we do it. We show the 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 ancient one, and we show the one that's that's been made now. So. Um, And there's some really, I guess there's a beautiful element to that in showing that ongoing practice. These four were
0: presented to the University of Cambridge by John Montagu, First Lord of the Admiralty and a supporter of Cook. And for the most part, they've stayed in the University of Cambridge Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, the MAA. But they have been returned to Australia a couple of times most recently just last year, when they returned to Sydney for the first time in nearly 250 years. At the time, Nolene spoke with us on a way, and it was pretty clear to everyone, from museum officials to the community, that repatriation was
2: not on the table. You know what, I've always kind of said, repatriation to me is just one of those words that Museum people and uh, you know, it's that's that's for the the people who do that sort of stuff to worry about. It's not it's not a word that I really wanted to use, but uh, I, and the position that we were taking at the time was we really just wanted our community descendants of the original inhabitants to be able to connect to and have access to the spears while they were here. Last year was the very first time that they had actually been back to Sydney. So when they came back in 2015, they only went to Canberra. They came back in 2020 for an Endeavour exhibition at the National Museum of Australia. And NMA, they extended their loan so that we can get them into Sydney. So we've had some really nice partners along the way. And, yeah, repatriation was, you know, pie in the sky kind of stuff, I guess. This is more
0: maybe a question for people on the museum side, but what do you think
2: changed? You know what? We had a really good experience when they came to Sydney. Um, uh, there was there was a fair bit of negotiation that happened before that. So one, we had to find, uh, we, we had to partner with an institution here in Sydney that could, one, provide the right atmosphere environment security for the spears that would that would care for them in the way that um Trinity College had for the last 250 years so we we did we we partnered with the Chalcak Chow Chow Wing Museum in Sydney University who were fantastic they really listened they uh, worked with us to to work out how we wanted them displayed and also how we wanted to work out some some nice community access and community programming around that. So I think that experience in working with the NMA and working with Chow Chak Wing, I think Trinity College got a lot of confidence out of that.
0: And so now less than twelve months later, they've made this announcement the Spears will be returning to country. Tell me about getting
2: that call or getting getting that news. You know what? um, I didn't expect it to come around so quick. It was a little bit of disbelief. It was a little bit of I had no I had no words when I when I first heard. I just uh, um, it was one of those oh my god moments, and um, and then I couldn't stop smiling. So you know it was it was great news, and I knew that that you know everybody would get behind this. Everybody has to get behind this. What does the next step look like? So we're not really sure when the spears will be able to come out. There's um there's a couple of things that need to happen over at Trinity. They uh there's a uh, some charity um approval that they need to go through, um, and then we'll start working on logistics about um, what has to, has to actually happen for the transfer, and then and then getting them out here. So uh, that timeline, I'm not really certain about. Uh, they will eventually end up, the spears, once they come to Australia, they'll eventually end up in the new visitor centre that's to be built over at Cornell, at Camay Botany Bay National Park. We've been involved in that a bit too, so we've we've always made sure that in the planning for that visitor centre there was a museum-grade facility so that, you know, we would be able to bring cultural objects back, always with the spears in mind, but, you know, cultural objects because it starts with the spears, but, you know, we've got some bigger plans too. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll, uh, I guess we'll do some consultation with our community and we'll work out if the spears come before that visitor centre is finished, then we'll work out how we want to store them and, and who we can partner with and, and where we can store them and, and look after them, yeah. Norlene Timbri is the chairperson of the La
0: Perouse Local Aboriginal Land Council. You also heard excerpts from Joseph Banks' diary, read by ABC's Jonathan Webb. If you'd like to read more about the Kame Spears, check out the story by Heath Parks Hopton on the ABC website. It's titled Spears Taken by Captain Cook in 1770 to be Returned to Sydney La Aboriginal Community. I'll link to it in our show notes.